Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Just a sports report. I'm in a fantastic mood. Finals coming up. Just come back from a little bit of a trip away. My PlayStation hasn't been working for a couple of weeks. I did not much. I did give it a fair whack, quite literally a physical whack. That didn't work. I didn't really try anything. And then I went onto YouTube and thankfully, I'll, I'll have to find the name of the guy who did it. Honestly, thank you, YouTube. PlayStation is up. Feeling good. Gonna crack into some UFC after this. But this isn't the PlayStation report. This is the NRL Round 24 preview. Only two season regular rounds remaining before we hit the big time finals footy. I am up and about, and we have nine teams left in the running. Of course, all the sides in the top eight with a couple of sides vulnerable, none more so than the Brisbane Broncos, and then, of course, the team sitting ninth. I know them well. They are my second team. Of course, Warriors first and foremost, but the family team, the Canberra Raiders, well, they are the ones who have to make their run. It is win or go home for the Raiders. And speaking of Canberra, I just got back from my Canberra trip, and look, I didn't do NRL power over the weekend, as I said, but that'll be back this weekend. So a full round review will be coming out after the games this weekend, a little bit later in the podcast as well. I'll get to my NRLW takes, including the results from round one, my tips for round two, and some of my highlights that I posted over on our Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report for the NRL weekly wrap round one. Plenty to get into today. We've got the Dally M medal race right towards the finish as well. Names like Ben Hunt, Nico Hines, Munster, Tedesco, and Dylan Edwards. They are all in the mix. Cannot wait to see who takes out 2022's best player. But now, let's get into it. This is not just a sports report and the NRL Round 24 preview. have a game with so much at stake. Thursday night, Suncorp Stadium, everything to play for as the 8th placed Brisbane Broncos take on the 5th placed Parramatta Eels. Eels on 30 competition points after the big win on the weekend. They look like they have shored up their spot in the final series, but where exactly are they going to finish? And then you look at the Broncos sitting in 8th And for the first time, really, after looking pretty good and like a top four chance for a lot of this season, well, now the Broncos on 28 points. This is do or die. They have to win here or they could find themselves in some trouble. Going to be a great way to set the tone for a fantastic weekend of footy. And of course, Brisbane. 
destroyed by 60 points or 60 points put on them in a bloodbath up against the Melbourne Storm. It was ugly. And I'll be honest, I actually, sue me, this could be the ultimate rugby league sin, uh, but I tuned into the AFL. There was also a big Brisbane-Melbourne clash, both in Brisbane, and both Melbourne sides absolutely flogged the Brisbane sides. So, look, interesting. Uh, Obviously, in the AFL, my team are the Melbourne Demons. So, I just felt like I don't support the Storm or Brisbane Broncos, I like both teams a lot. I, in fact, live in Melbourne. But, yeah, my AFL team was playing. It was a huge game. And I also jumped on them at $2.05, the Demons. So I was was keen to see how that went. Went well as well. Uh, So I didn't actually fully watch this game, but I did tune in in bits and pieces. 60 points told me all I needed to know. Had a couple of mates at the game as well. And I basically just reached out as a Warriors fan and I said, welcome to the club. I went to fucking Amy Park earlier this year and watched the storm put 70 on my Warriors. So look, my sympathy levels aren't that high for the Broncos and that is a belting on the eve of finals. Speaking of beltings, well, the Eels, they got revenge against the Dogs, 42 to six. I'll get to that in a moment, But going back to the Broncos and that absolute demolition, look, I don't think it can be understated enough how big a loss Patrick Carrigan is. That was the first thing I thought, and I know so much else has to go wrong to have 60 put on you, but I just felt like the middle of the field, they were all over the place. Patrick Carrigan, this is where he is so important, and I don't think, other than maybe an Adam Reynolds, and even then... I don't think there's anyone right now more important to the Brisbane Broncos and their success than Patrick Carrigan. He shores up the middle. He is a leader, a massive link as well between both sides of the field and one of the biggest talkers and on-field communicators. So massive loss, Patrick Carrigan. And look, when they get him back, it'll be huge. But hopefully for the Broncos, their run won't be left too late. Now, back to the Eels, they got it done over the Dogs, with the Bulldogs winning the first fixture between the sides earlier. And look, Dylan Brown was outstanding. I think you've got to make it a top priority to re-sign not just Dylan Brown, but Mitchell Moses. Now, the Eels, they've shown hesitancy to actually offer players big bucks. We saw that with Reid Marnie, Isaiah Papali'i. But I just feel like at least Dylan Brown. Like if Mitchell Moses is saying, hey, I want a million dollars, I can, like there will be teams, I believe, who would offer Mitch Moses $1 million. So look, if the Eels say, we just can't put ourselves in that position, then okay, I can live with that. But Dylan Brown, you have to do everything you can to keep him. He's only just starting to work his way toward becoming the player that we know he can become. So Dylan Brown had a fantastic game on the weekend and Parramatta cannot afford to lose him. They've had a lack of long-term halves pairings for years. I think about their marquee signing of Chris Sandow didn't quite work out. You think about the season all the way back in 2009, which now is actually quite a long time ago. It feels like only a couple of years ago, 
but it was actually ages ago. They had Jeff Robson, Daniel Mortimer in the halves. And even just trying to rack my brain, like who were the last stable halves pairing for the Eels before Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses? I couldn't tell you other than like, yeah, maybe Corey Norman and Mitchell Moses. But even then, like it just seemed like that wasn't the answer. And for the first time in pretty much as long as I've been watching the Eels, at least for a very long time, they seem like they have two halves who can steer them to premiership glory. And I'm not saying they're going to get there, but this is the closest in terms of a halves pairing that I have seen from Parramatta in my time, like at least, yeah, as I said, recently. Because even early 2000s, they're all right, but for the longest time, they just... They haven't had it. They even tried to get Kieran Foran, and that just didn't work out. They have to keep these halves, at least Dylan Brown, and that is a major point for me in terms of the Eels going forward, given that we've seen them already let some very talented players walk out the door. At least for Parramatta, this year they have their final spot locked in, and they are contenders, not pretenders. I truly believe that, But in the same token, Parramatta are also the most inconsistent and least trustworthy sides out of the teams that are still in contention. I believe they are contenders. Do not trust them, though. And their inconsistency is a red flag. Can they win three to four games in a row against the best teams? We don't know. And if any side's going to do it and surprise us and have some amazing run, it's going to be the Eels. But again, if there's going to be a side that's going to fully shit the bed and just epically fail, Eels as well. It's really hard to get a read on this side week to week. When finals comes, it's going to be a totally different environment, but you can't just flick a switch on and off. You can't go from inconsistent for the longest time and then just flick that switch. But we'll have to wait and see. Finals just around the corner. And these sides met just last month. And the perfect example of the Eels and their bed-shitting ways, albeit they are in fifth. Well, the last time these two sides met, Broncos ran riot. And this was at the Eels' home ground. Broncos winning 36-14. In a game, I tipped the Eels. Many people tipped the Eels, and they were shocking. They were super average, and that's kind of how it goes. You think they're going to be good, and then they're not. And then they play a Melbourne Storm or a Penrith Panthers, and you're like, I don't think they're up for this. And then they win. It, it's honestly, it's like a Bermuda Triangle kind of vibe. And for both teams this season, there have been such bright moments. Eels obviously inconsistent but they have beaten the best sides in the comp and they know when it comes to finals that they can do it. And for the Broncos, what has been such a dream season to go from where they've been in the last couple of years to right in the mix for the top four only a few weeks ago. Now, Broncos, their season is on life support. If they are to drop the next two games, they could very well be bounced out. If they are to win either of the next two games, they are in. But it starts here against the fifth-placed Eels. Massive, massive test, 
not just for the Broncos, but for Parramatta as well, given that they made a premiership pact preseason. At least I heard that. That was like pretty widely reported. Now, there have been times reports aren't true. I physically wasn't there. I didn't watch them all put their hands in and be like, we're making a pact. But I've read they made a premiership pact. So, look, would be kind of shitty feeling if you don't don't come through on the pact. So they need to lift. They need to badly lift. Do the Parramatta Eels. And they did that last weekend. But consistency, that is the key. Can they back up a huge win over the Dogs and do it against the Broncos? A much better outfit this year and a side that, quite frankly, embarrassed the Eels last time out. Then, Brisbane Broncos, 60 points. Well, no side that's had 60 points put on them during the season has gone on to win the Premiership. But I think, look, this is bigger than that. I think if Brisbane qualify for the finals, that is a massive step in the right direction. And they can definitely build from there. They have some great young stars. They just need to get some finals football under their belts. But 60 points on the Broncos would suggest that they are more in the pretenders category than the contenders. But I don't think that's a bad thing. If you think about where they were last couple of years, well, they were far from this discussion. They weren't even in the contender discussion. And now they're in eighth and they are under a lot of pressure. But for them to be in the discussion tells me that the Broncos are on their way back up. We see Tyson Gamble as well. He's asked for his release, wants to get more game time. And fair enough, Knights supposedly after him. I, I think that would be a good call. Tyson Gamble... Look, good luck to him. He's a quality player. If he's not going to get the time in for the Broncos, well, look, I think he'll be very serviceable, more than serviceable for an NRL club. So we'll watch this space as to where Tyson Gamble goes. And now just quickly going to jump in to the team news for this game. We see Selwyn Cobbo has been rested. Kevin Walters saying he's played Origin. He was coming off a concussion, although this isn't related. He's just young and potentially fatigue. I've read some comments where it was like, oh, is something at play? I'll take Kevy for his word there. Like, I'm sure Selwyn Cobbo probably is tired. He's played Origin. He's played some unreal games this year and put his heart and soul into that Broncos outfit. So I don't read in into that too much. I think if anything, it's just... Selwyn, if you're going to have a little bit of a rest and just give your body some time to recover and your mind, do it now, for sure. I know it's a crucial game, but do it now because you can't do it during the finals. And he did struggle last week, so I think you just need to give him that week to really get himself right and be fit and firing for the finals. That sees Jordan Pereira come onto the wing to replace Selwyn. And Kirk Capel's been named, albeit that he is carrying an injury. So we'll have to see whether he gets through this one. And Ryan James, also out of the side, as well as Reese Kennedy, both injured, I believe. So that sees Keenan Palacia move into the starting side. And Panthers bound, Zach Hosking joins the bench. For Parramatta, they're going to be relatively unchanged for this one. We see Jake Arthur and Makahesi Makatoa joining the bench. 
But they've gone with the same 13, and the bulk of that squad, same side, the Blue Dogs, off the park last weekend. Big battle for the coaches as well. It's a huge test for Kevin Walters, who now finds himself under a bit of adversity. And look, he's not going to be settling for just making the eight. He is trying to bring Brisbane back to not just their former glory, but to a new glory that hasn't been seen before with a whole new crop of very exciting young superstars. Opposing him, you have Brad Arthur, probably the most successful coach that is under pressure. You know, if you had to group together all the coaches who the media, it seems like leaning more towards like sack this person or at least putting that heat on, I would say on the list of coaches who have heat on them, I think Brad Arthur is the most successful. So it's kind of a tricky position because Parramatta, there are so many expectations and it feels like Brad Arthur, it's win a premiership or fail. And look, that I guess is realistic, but at the same time, I mean, players and coaches go their whole lives sometimes without winning a premiership. It is not an easy thing to do. Trust me, I've never won one. I've been trying all my life. So Brad Arthur, it's going to be a big game. If they lose this, then again, the talk starts. Ah, is Brad Arthur the man to take them to that next level? Let's wait and see. There is season to be played out. There is still finals footy. I like to look at things with hindsight rather than be very speculative. I say, let's look at it and talk about it at the end of the season and let's actually see how the Eels go before we make our judgments. Now, back to the game itself. My point of difference in this contest, I mentioned it a bit earlier, no Patrick Carrigan. Massive point of difference in favor of the Eels, given that they send so much traffic through that middle third of the field. I'm thinking Junior Paolo. I'm thinking Reed Marnie, very crafty out of acting half with a great running game and Regan Campbell-Gillard. So Broncos need to shore up that middle. It's imperative. Point of difference, no Patrick Carrigan. And as far as all eyes on, all eyes are going to be on the Brisbane Broncos defense. How are they going to respond? And Getting 60 points put on you definitely rattles your confidence. It shows that clearly there are defensive deficiencies, although Storm are a side that have managed to definitely own teams by a lot of points several times this year. So there are elements where a lot of that was the storm, but Eels have plenty of strike around the park. So all eyes are going to be on Brisbane's defense and my eyes are going to be on the key battle in this one. No Patrick Carrigan. That means Brisbane's middles, they have to stand up. Key battle, Payne Haas and Tom Flegler head-to-head with Junior Paolo and RCG in what should be an explosive contest up front. I'm going to go underdog prediction here. And this one, I'm super unsure about, but I'm going to take the Broncos. And it feels strange to go for a side that's just had 60 points put on them, but they are going to be stinging. They are going to be embarrassed. And look, last time out when they played, I went the Eels. And the Broncos ended up winning. And Eels, like, I just don't trust them. And 
When you look at things, I mean, my point of difference, no Carrigan. I highlighted Broncos' poor defense. I gave the Eels halves a massive rap. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, all signs point toward a Parramatta win. But I just don't trust the Eels, to be honest. I trust them about as far as I can throw them. And I tell you what, I don't think I could throw Junior Paolo very far. So, look, Eels, they're probably going to win. But my tip, I'm going to go to the Brisbane Broncos. I'm going for the upset here. I, I don't know why. Broncos won last time, and I just don't trust the Eels. I don't trust them. And, yeah, are they going to gain my trust with a win here? Probably not. Probably not. I have no idea. And... To be honest, they're not my team. So, like, from a fan sense, like, it's awesome in the lead-up to the finals. But I really don't give a shit. Like, if they win, I'm still not going to trust them. They're, they're just a sketchy operation, the Eels. I don't know exactly what it is, but they're just... It's a sketchy operation, and I'm going to go with the Broncos. Now, I'm also going to be doing a not-just-a-sports-report parlay... Chucked on a little $5 multi, given that my parlays aren't the strongest. So this one's just for fun. Probably not going to get up, hence the $5 stake. But I'm going to add a little something from each game. So I've gone the Brisbane Broncos up against the Eels and the first leg of a 10-leg parlay. So I've also included NRLW get them amongst the women's action. But the first leg of our 10-leg, not just a sports report parlay, Corey Oates, anytime try scorer. $1.60 odds. I'm jumping on Oates. So if you want to follow along, uh, the actual odds for this multi 10-legs, uh, where the hell are they? Here we go. $91.19. So this is no laughing matter, but look, that's, pro- that's the odds of it getting up, about fucking 91 to 1. So... I'd have to try this 91 times, the odds say, and more maybe for this to work, but $5. So gamble responsibly if you are going to jump on this, but hey, even if you got $1, could make 91.19, or you could lose $1, but it all adds up at the same time. So I'm not saying gamble, but we are going to be doing the Not Just a Sports Report parlay, first of our 10-leg parlay, Corey Oates, Anytime try scorer. But with the Thursday night game done, well, there's still plenty of other games to get to. So now, let's get amongst the Friday night fixtures. Alright, let's get stuck in to the Friday night action. Starting with the early Friday game, and I apologise, but this one is going to be a pretty short pick. We have the first placed Panthers up against my side, the 13th placed Warriors. Down, 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 down. Unfortunate boys, can't wait to see us bounce back next year. We've even pinched one of the Panthers' assistants in Andrew Webster, who's been at the Warriors before. But look, Panthers are $1.01. We've got Jerome Luai returning, James Fisher-Harris back for the Panthers, And last time out, Panthers had that huge win over the Rabbitohs. Look, I think it's pretty clear the way I'm going in this one. Warriors. Nah, no way. Unfortunately, Panthers. And 
what is there to preview? Like, they're just going to be so much faster. That's what I've seen all year. Like, they play way faster, much cleaner skills, much better team cohesion, confidence, like everything. That's why they're $1.01. Warriors have looked off the pace. The Nathan Brown era didn't really do anything for us, with all respect to Nathan Brown. Seems like a terrific bloke. Um, and now with Stacey Jones, like, it's been whatever for a while now. I mean, not just this season, but for, like, the longest time, since basically 2011, when we made the grand final. So, yeah, I'm going Panthers in this one. It's unfortunate. No one would love to sit down and preview this one more than me and be like, oh, like, could the Warriors do it? I just, I really don't think they can. And I've been wrong before. Um, but, yeah, the Warriors, I know them better than any side in the NRL. I have spent so much time watching them, supporting them, and cheering them on. And that's going to continue. I will be watching, and I will be cheering and supporting. But I'm going Panthers in this one, and I think we all know why. Like, if anyone really wants to argue, come on. Come on. So I'm taking the Panthers in this one. And jumping into the Not Just a Sports Report parlay, it's only like a $1.14, cents, but I've gone Panthers 13+. plus. Now, not usually one to go against my team. Usually I just stay out of it. But we'll throw it in the parlay. Even a $1.14, it's like, it's value. I will be shocked if they don't put 13+, plus on us. But hopefully not. Let's go Warriors, but I'm going to go with the Panthers in this one. Then, in Friday night, well, I will be previewing this one, we have the game of round 24 taking place at Amy Park in Melbourne as the fourth place Storm, coming off five groundbreaking, needle-moving signing announcements yesterday. Not just one, not two, but five signings. Oh, everyone was hyped up. Who was it going to be? Could it be Cameron Munster? Even better, we had Nick Arima, George Jennings, Dean Aramia, Grant Anderson, and Marion Seve, all re-signed. So we'll have to watch this space as to what that means in the Cameron Munster situation. But hey, it's a bit of fun. I know people were like, ah, oh. even I was a bit like, ah, oh, that's a bit of a G up considering no Munster. But like, come on, like I saw Paul Kent there was an article, apparently, I haven't been, I don't really watch 360, to be honest. Every now and then, I will, but it's just, there's, it's shit I really don't have time for. Like, in terms of most of the topics, and how in-depth they're analysing things. I'm more of a bigger picture person. I'm like, okay, what's the bigger picture going on outside of, like, rugby league? There's a lot going on in my life, your life, world in general. So sometimes when they're debating things, like I remember one was Cooper Cronk doing some like assistant coaching at both the Roosters and the Storm. And they're like, is that a conflict of interest? Or more recently, like the James Tarmow situation and, you know, the good bloke rule. But I'm just like, I, I don't know. I just don't have time to listen to like 10 minutes of super hectically emotionally charged stuff like that. And 360, the ratings are through the roof. So, like, they're doing something right. I just, it's not, it's not for me. So, I did see there was a bit of outrage from Paul Kent about the storm and how they handled announcing these five signings. 
But like, honestly, why do we have to take it so seriously? Like, can we not just take it for what it is? Cool, five re-signings. No, it wasn't Cameron Munster. So like, a bit of a letdown. For Storm fans, probably a big letdown. But for the five blokes who've actually got contracts, it's, it's more than a one-person team. So these are five players who have committed to the Storm. Good on them. Play on, I say. We've got fourth-place Storm in this Friday night game of the round up against the sixth-placed Roosters on an absolute roll. Five straight wins, I believe, since the arrival of Matt Lodge. And look, major implications. Roosters, they're still not 100% safe. I'm going to just quickly pull up the ladder. Apologies, bear with me here. Uh, just to check exactly how close these sides are. But I know that Roosters could still bounce out of the eight. But very unlikely, especially given they scored 72 points last time out against the Tigers. But Roosters are on 28 points. Raiders on 26. So it's still possible. And Storm are on 32. So they are looking in this game to shore up a spot in that top four. So much on the line in this one. And both sides coming off absolutely impressive performances. We saw Melbourne pile on 60 points up against the Broncos. And then the Roosters said, hold my beer. 72 points scored against the Tigers. Both of these sides coming in red hot form. And look, it's been a season where at times both of these sides have looked like a shell of their former selves. And for different reasons, but now it seems like they're back to their best and right on time. Very conveniently, these two coaches and these two sides, they know that you save your best football for now and they're going to need their best football. I'm going to need my best English to get through this podcast. Uh, They are going to need their best football to beat one another and it's going to be one hell of a game. That's why it's my game of the round. Now, checking out the talking points. Storm, last few weeks with the win over the Panthers and absolutely blowing the Broncos off the park, it's been a very timely reminder that Melbourne Storm are still premiership contenders. I'm really excited to see just how far they can go. We still don't know what lies in the future of Cameron Munster, Dolphins looks most likely. It's felt that way for a long time as well. But Storm, they've upped their offer. So it is going to be curious to see whether he does go to the Dolphins or stay with the Storm. But again, like I said, not to get too deep, but I like to think bigger picture as well. And I'm like, you know what? I can live with just allowing Cameron Munster to have the time to negotiate and make his decision. I don't need to think about it every day or talk about it every day. I'm happy to wait and see what he does. And I know there are major implications on his decision for both the Storm, the Dolphins, and the transfer market as a whole. But yeah, that's bigger picture to me is like, well, I'm excited to see what he does. I have no idea. Like, to be quite honest, some of the media outlets, they would have much better idea. NRL 360, for example, you've got Braithen Nasta, his manager. He's right there, so you can ask him questions. He's actually related to it, so I think he's better suited to actually make comments. Uh, when I hang out with Cameron Munster in here in Melbourne, we don't talk contract stuff. He's not asking me how much I get paid at my job. 
I don't ask him, where are you going? So we keep the contract stuff off the table uh, when me and Cam get together. Another one as well in terms of contracts at the Storm, David Nofaluma. Now, this is very interesting. As expected, like a couple of Tigers guys, Oliver Gildart went to the Roosters. He's like, I love it here. This is awesome. I feel so great. And Noffa doing the same, which is kind of not the greatest endorsement of the Tigers. And hopefully they can get that right. But now Nofaluma, he's found himself in a system that he is loving. He looks, you know, at home in the Melbourne Storm jersey as well. So I'm very interested to see whether Melbourne will hold on to him. I know Tigers, they've said they're going to keep him. And it would be a bad look where they'd be criticised if they did lose him, especially after loaning him. But again, today I'm full bigger picture mode. And it's like, you know, even though they're going to cop criticism if they do lose him, they are paying a lot for him. And they could maybe, the money they're paying for Nofa, you could get two players because they don't exactly have the best depth. So maybe you get a winger who can do a job and try and fill another hole. I'm not sure. And I have no idea where David Nofaluma is going. Uh, he's not returning my calls. So not sure where Nofaluma is going. Is he going to stay with the Storm or go back to his OG club, the Tigers? We're going to have to wait and see on that one. On to the Sydney Roosters. And these guys are hitting peak form at the right end of the year. Matt Lodge, I've spoken about him the last few weeks. He has been such a game-changing signing. Where was this at the Warriors? But like the Tigers, I think it's, you know, more a reflection on the Warriors and their systems they have in place. Matt Lodge, living up to the lofty, I can't speak English, my bad, lofty expectations that had been set on him for quite a while. Massive truck incoming. We'll, we'll hold the truck. Sorry, I can't take that out, but fuck it. So anyway, Matt Lodge, he just looks the best version of himself. You have Jared Waria Hargreaves, who's lifted to that next gear. And the major, major boost for the Roosters to go with this front row that is absolutely firing on all cylinders. Well, they are going to get Lindsay Collins and Sio Tokiaho back in this one. So the Roosters middle, this is as strong as it has been all season. And for the Storm up against the Roosters here, if they win, they secure that top four spot. So everything to play for for both of these sides. We see as well Nelson Asofa Solomona named in the middle with Felice Kafusi back. But Nelson, the big fella has spoke potentially about a desire to move full-time into the second row, where he absolutely brained it over the last couple of weekends. So that's an interesting watch this space. Obviously, Kenny Bromwich leaving, Felice Kafusi leaving. So there's every chance they will opt to do that. He has looked fantastic there, and Big Nelson is such a massive part of what the Melbourne Storm are doing. Let's get on to the team news. As I mentioned, Felice Kafusi back. So Nelson named in the middle, and Tui Kamikamika moves to the bench. Brandon Smith has been retained in the lock Ford jersey, and over the last few weeks when they've been starting him, I think he's made such a difference. So I really like Cheese in the 13 jersey. For the Roosters, also already mentioned this one, Lindsay Collins and Sio Tokiaho 
both back in the team on the bench. And we see Paul Momorowski back in the side, named in the centres. It's going to be a battle of two super coaches. They know each other's styles very well. And who knows, there is a high likelihood that these sides very well may meet again come the final series. Craig Bellamy head-to-head with Trent Robinson. Who is going to get up right on the eve of showtime when both of these coaches are going to be looking to do what they do best and steer their side to premiership glory? There are going to be so many battles across this game, but none more so important than a battle between two Dallium medal contenders, Cameron Munster, James Tedesco, and that is if Munster is named to play at fullback. We don't know, he could play 5-8. I would assume he's gonna play fullback where he's been killing it, head to head up against James Tedesco. I just feel like it's gonna be on one of these guys to break open what should be a very close game. My point of difference in this contest I've gone the lock forwards for both sides. As I said, I think Brandon Smith has been a massive game changer since being injected into the starting 13 jersey. And Victor Radley, he is killing it at the moment. And I think the Roosters, when they look at their absolute best, is when Radley is not on the sideline, injured, suspended, and the likes. Roosters look their best when they have Radley as that ball playing forward, he's in the middle, such a perfect link. He's got so much ticker in defense and he runs hard as well. He brings everything that you want in the modern day Ford and more. Huge fan of Victor Radley, huge fan of the Roosters bound Brandon Smith and that point of difference for either side could again be what breaks this game wide open. In terms of who all eyes are gonna be on, Cameron Munster. For the reasons I mentioned, is he going to the Dolphins? I even saw James Hooper released a story. I didn't read it. Sometimes it's on Fox Sports. It's like Jimmy Brings. But when I see that, I'm just like, nah, sorry. I I honestly have nothing against him, but it's always Tiger stuff. It is never positive. It is always just like negative. And I'm just like, oh, I I don't need to read it. I've worked out from reading it a few times. I don't need to read it. And it's always Tigers related, I swear. Always Tigers related because I believe he is a West Tigers fan. But this one with the headline was like, Tigers chasing Cameron Munster with like big bid. And I was just like, no, no. So all eyes are gonna be on Cameron Munster. And look, I'm not shitting on the Tigers at all. I actually really hope you guys do well. You remind me of the Warriors, like we've both been in the same shitty boat for like a decade. So I feel you guys, I have family members and friends that support the Tigers. So this is not me shitting on the Tigers, but when all eyes are on Cameron Munster, what's his decision gonna be? No one's talking about the Tigers. Now they are, James Hooper's talking about the Tigers. No one, like if Cameron Munster goes to the Tigers, I'll, I'll buy a Tigers membership. I'll literally switch. I'll stop supporting the Warriors and I'll start supporting the Tigers. That is how confident I am that that is not going to happen in any reality. And Tigers have some awesome signings. So again, not shitting on the Tigers, but like, come on. 
All eyes on Cameron Munster. Is he going to go to the Dolphins? Is he going to stay with the Storm? Let's wait and find out. In terms of my game of the round prediction, I'm going to take the Melbourne Storm, but this one is so close. I have no idea who's going to win, and these are the kind of games that I love to sit down and watch. I'm taking the Storm basically just on home ground advantage. I've been to Amy Park many times. They're really strong at their home ground. Roosters humming, no doubt. And if they win this, well then all of a sudden, it's really starting to heat up in the premiership race. I'm taking the Melbourne Storm. Not a heap of reason behind it other than home ground advantage because this one, I think it's going to be decided by a whisker. So I'm taking the Melbourne Storm and for our Not Just a Sports Report parlay, I've seen some value. Melbourne Storm 1-12 to at $2.80. I see this one being a real close one. And I could be proven wrong, as I have been many times before. But I'm going to chuck it in the Not Just a Sports Report parlay. I think we see a really close contest here. So Storm 1-12 to jumping in the Not Just a Sports Report parlay. At $2.80. So I was like, hey, I'm willing to make that play. It's only a $5 stake. So taking the storm over the roosters. Now let's get amongst Super Saturday. Somebody call Clark Kent because things are about to get very super this Saturday. Kicking off at GIO Stadium in a win-or-go-home contest for the home side, we have the ninth-placed Canberra Raiders trying desperately to make their run and giving a pretty good account of it as well, with only one loss in the last five or so weeks, and that being to the reigning defending premiers, the Panthers. They are going to be hosting the 11th-placed Seagulls, who have faced a real fall from grace since the Jersey scandal, of course. We've been there. We don't need to dwell on that anymore right now. I said my piece. So we've got the 11th placed Sea Eagles falling off a cliff, and they now sit in 11th, and we've got the Raiders in 9th on 26 points. They don't have the best points differential, unfortunately for them. In fact, they have the worst of all the sides in the running. So Raiders, definitely the odds on to not make the eight out of these nine sides. They are the side in ninth. They are the side that have given themselves it all to do. So they really have to win both of these games and they need to rely on results going their way as well. They are on 26 points. Just above them, the Broncos on 28, who they are playing the... Have I already previewed it? Yeah, I have. The Eels. Goodness gracious. Not good for my brain. Uh, But the Broncos play the Eels. And if the Broncos lose that and Raiders win, they'll be on equal competition points with Broncos to play the Dragons next round. I'm not exactly sure who the Raiders are playing. Then we've got the Rabbitohs, who play the second-placed Cowboys and then a Roosters side that are humming. Raiders, if they win both their games and Rabbitohs or Broncos lose both of theirs, there's going to be a change-up. This is such an exciting finish, and I just hope 
I'm not even going to be impartial here. Raiders are my second side, so I'm supporting them. And just for the sake of the competition, I hope the Raiders win, just so we have such an exciting last round. Then we've of course got the Storm, uh, the Roosters rather, who play the Storm and the Rabbitohs. And if they lose both the games and Raiders, they are gone. So Roosters, Rabbitohs, Broncos. That is where things stand. Raiders absolutely have to win this to even be in consideration. And they're doing everything they can. Last round, I was in Canberra, saw the game. I wasn't there because it was in Newcastle, but I watched the game in Canberra. That was a very poor way of wording that. Raiders were actually scared by Newcastle. Knights had a really good first half, but Ricky Stewart must have said something and probably called them weak gutted dogs by the way that they came out and responded in the second half to keep their season alive. For the Seagulls, they were dominated once again up against the Sharks, and I think it's fair to say at this point, the wheels have fallen off. Talking points, Raiders finals pursuit. I just spoke about what's happening. They have to rely on sides above them and results to go their way. And they have to win the next two games. So it is as simple as that. Raiders win or go home this weekend. And when you look at the Seagulls, there's some there's pressure building on Des Hasler. Really? Honestly, is that true? Like I've read that and I don't I don't know. Like knowing the way things are with the coaching climate, he probably is under pressure. That makes no sense to me. I if I had to think of every available coach I could think of now and every option of who has the best success of taking Manly to a premiership, I, I couldn't tell you a better option than Des Hasler. I don't know if there is a better option than Des Hasler. I, yeah, I don't know. I think before getting rid of Des, maybe they should just look... I like most of the team, but maybe they need to look at how they're structuring it. Obviously, they're pretty top-heavy, paying Cherry Evans a lot, paying Trebojevic a lot. But maybe they just need to look at, I don't know, bringing a couple of guys in or changing a couple of systems. I'm not exactly sure, but getting rid of Des Hasler does not seem like the answer. And to see even former players of Manly, champion players saying, maybe it's time for him to go... Really? Am I missing something? Do people agree with that? I feel like... I don't know. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And in context, like, Warriors, my side, we've already signed our coach for next year. I'm stoked. We've got Andrew Webster. But hypothetically, if Stacey Jones is still the interim coach and, like, my personal side, I support the Warriors were looking for a coach and Seagulls were like, we're going to get rid of Des Hasler. I would take Des Hasler in a heartbeat. He is a fucking awesome coach. It, it's like honestly flabbergasting to even think that they're thinking that. So I'm going to move on from that. Surely Des Hasler is afforded more time. And why are we putting the blowtorch on him right now? Doesn't make sense to me. Now we see Seagulls. They have already announced they have four departing players. Marty Tapao, 
who unsigned for next year. Maybe he goes to the Eels, not exactly sure. Andrew Davey, veteran back rower, hasn't been offered another deal, although I am hearing that the Bulldogs are sniffing around on that front. Kieran Foran off to the Titans, and Dylan Walker over to the Warriors. So they've got four players leaving at the end of this year. And Manly, just a mess. For this year at least, it's just turned into a complete and utter mess. For the Raiders, it started as a mess, but they have turned things around. Can they qualify for the finals? I really do hope so. They are undisputably my second team, so I'm supporting them hard in this one. I'm happy to state that. Like, There is a bit of bias in terms of the way I'm looking at this game, but we'll have to see. Sea Eagles, they are definitely capable of ending the Raiders' season. Checking the team news, Raiders rolling with the same 17. And for the Sea Eagles, Raymond Tuimalo Vaiga, he's going to be making his NRL debut. Interested to see how he goes. I'm pretty sure he was actually a Warriors junior. And he scored a hat trick in the trials. I did see that. And I was like, oh, shit, I'd never heard of this guy before. And he scored a hat trick, so I was like, hey, why not? I mean, Blacktown workers in the New South Wales Cup haven't had a great season. They don't really have a lot of star power, respectfully, compared to some of the other New South Wales Cup teams. But Raymond Tumalo, he seems like, fuck it, like, give him a go. I think he could actually be a really good long-term option that isn't going to break the bank. So let's see how he goes on debut. Congratulations to him. And a battle of two coaches, very contrasting in terms of personality, style, but two, no doubt, major personalities in the competition. Ricky Stewart up against Des Hasler. This one has the makings of a classic. And if the game itself isn't a classic, maybe the press conference, you know, there could be a Ricky blow up. Des Hasler says some quirky things. But when they are at their best is when they are at the helm as the coach and both of them very much need to get the win this weekend. This one undoubtedly is going to be a very physical contest. My key battle though, in the halves. Both sets of halves. Kieran Foran and DCE. Seagull's premiership winning halves. Up against Jack Whiten and Jamal Fogarty. Their first season working alongside each other, but they are the ones trying to steer their team to victory and trying desperately to qualify for the final series. They're gonna have a major say. The 5.8s, well, both are really defensive-minded, great defensive halves. Jack Whiten, one of the all-time ball runners in this game. And then you have Kieran Foran, who not only can he set up a try, but he is also a fantastic ball runner. And then organizing the ship, you have Daly Cherry Evans, one of the best kickers in the game, and look, he is the captain. He is leading this side forward. And Jamal Fogarty for the Raiders. He's really starting to find his groove in that green jersey after moving over from the Titans. I am hugely excited for the key battle in this one between the halves. Point of difference. This leans me toward the Raiders. I think the point of difference in this one are Canberra's front rowers. You've got Josh Papali'i who, look, he's getting toward the end. 
But it's amazing because just as Josh Papali'i is, I don't even want to say declining because he's not, he was pretty much in the handful of best front rowers in the competition in the world. And at a couple of stages, like I think when the green machine were really hot, I think he was the best front rower in the world. So it's not that he's declined, it's just he was at the absolute top, absolute peak of his powers, and now he's just a bit older, a bit wiser, still a massive contributor, but along comes Joseph Tarpanay, and it's like, just as Josh Papali'i is kind of seeing, like, hey, I could still, you know, be the absolute best, but I can't be that forever. And this combination with Joseph Tarpanay, now I would have to say, Joseph Tarpanay, in my mind, at least on form this year, other than maybe a James Fisher-Harris, he is the best front rower in the world. So this is such a great combination. Josh Papali'i, an experienced leader, he hasn't lost a step. I'm not saying that he is done. I'm just saying that he was the best in the world and now... He's still amongst the best. And he's kind of passing the torch and saying, Joseph Tarpanay, you're a little bit younger. You've got more years to offer. It's your time. Point of difference, Raiders front row in this one. And all eyes are going to be on Des Hasler. For the reasons I mentioned, pressure, whether it's warranted or unwarranted, there are going to be a lot of eyes, not just on Des, but also the Seagulls. I'm going with the Raiders in this one. They're my second team. Even if they weren't, I think I would be going the Raiders. They have so much to play for. Let's keep this finals race alive. There's only one side from outside the eight that can do it. And I much prefer the idea of keeping these sides like the Roosters, the Broncos, and the Eels. Or not the Eels, sorry, the Rabbitohs. I like the idea of keeping them on their toes and having them nervous, and having them wondering, like, you know, could we actually fall out of the eight? The only way to keep everyone on their toes is for Canberra to deliver in this one, and it's not going to be easy. Manly are going to be up for this one, and they have the tools. They have the players that can take the Raiders down, but I'm backing Canberra in in this one, taking the Raiders over the Seagulls. And for the Not Just a Sports Report parlay, I've chucked in an anytime try scorer in the mix here, Sebastian Chris. Big fan of his. He's having a career best season. They like to go out to that left side because you've got Hudson Young. I mean, look at all the tries he's scored. You've got your most dominant attacking player, Jack Whiten, on that side. And you've got Seb Chris, who's scoring a lot of tries. Sides like to target Daly Cherry Evans and his side of the park as well. So I think at different points, Raiders are going to swing it left. I'm hoping at some stage in this 80 minutes, and that's if this parlay is still even going, that my man Sebastian Chris can get over the line. So taking the Raiders in this Super Saturday opener, and for the NJSR parlay, Sebastian Chris anytime try scorer. The festivities aren't done there either, because we have more games to go on this Super Saturday Going on to our Saturday evening game now at Shark Park, the third-placed Cronulla Sharks up against the 12th-placed Bulldogs. With the Sharks, they vying, or they are vying, 
I'm vying to get my English on track. Cronulla vying for that second placed finish. Potentially a home final. They are saying, give it to us at Shark Park. And I agree. I know money rules everything in this world. But in a perfect world, in my perfect world, in my perfect world, Warriors would be first. But in my perfect world, just let sides play at their home ground. I like it. It's a home ground advantage. And so what if it's Sharks, Cowboys, and there's only like 11,000 people, but it's 11,000 Sharks fans going off their head? I'll take that any day of the week over a half-empty, a core stadium. It's just the vibe and the energy, and I'd love to see it. Like, prelims are different. I think prelims, I'm happy to have them at the big stadiums. But if you finish second, and this goes for sides like the Seagulls as well, who've been denied the same right. If you finish second, I feel like you've earned that right. There's not enough importance being placed on those top two finishes. Like minor premiership, who goes into the season like, oh, this is my pick for the minor premiership. I think this is going to be the side that takes it out. No one. And it should be a way bigger thing. You look at the English Premier League and you have to essentially win the minor premiership. That is the major premiership. And I love the final series. Like, I am all for the final series. It's the best part. But there's not enough importance placed on finishing not just first, but second. So I say yes. If the Sharks earn the right, which they haven't done yet, but if they do, give them the game at Shark Park. Speaking of Shark Park, we are going to see an iconic Sharks figure, a premiership winner, one of only 17 men to ever do so for Cronulla, Andrew Fafita, his last home game, at least in the regular season. It's going to be a fitting farewell, and if anyone deserves it, it's Andrew Fafita. Like, this guy, at the peak of his powers, my goodness, like, Andrew Fafita, what he's contributed to the game, and, like, I'm not a Sharks supporter, I... I'm a fan of every team in the comp, to be honest. There's no side that I hate. I can appreciate, like, there are players throughout every team and coaches and whatnot that I like. So, like, I'm really happy to see the Sharks doing well. And in this, like, I'd have to say I'm probably more liking the Sharks over the Bulldogs if I'm just like, oh, who do I want to see win this? But, like, Andrew Fafita, even just as a neutral fan watching Sharks games... I loved watching him at his peak. He has just been such a huge part of what the Sharks have become after being cellar dwellers and for most of my life, never really being a team to worry about or be like, yeah, these guys are going to win the premiership. And yeah, there was just this huge shift and part of that was Andrew Fafita. So he is no doubt a Sharks legend. He's a premiership winner and congratulations to him. Interested to see whether he sticks around in the NRL. Now, last weekend, we saw the Sharks collect their fourth consecutive win, blitzing Manly in the process, whilst the Dogs were easily accounted for by the Eels. Now, the Sharks, the thing that impresses me the most about them, it's their depth. Their New South Wales Cup affiliate side, Newtown, they are clear on top of the ladder, in reserve grade, so they are 
absolutely humming, the sharks themselves doing the same, and any time they've had to call on someone, I'm thinking like a Lockie Miller, it just works perfectly. So that is a major point for the sharks that they can draw on, having unbelievable depth. I mean, Matt Ikevalu has been one of their best in the last couple of weeks, and he wasn't in their best 17. Like, Sione Katoa's injury opened the door for him to get back into the side. And, like, you look at him, he's killing it. Lockie Miller, they were struggling to find a place for him. Look how he's performing. And then you have Nico Hines. A marquee signing from Melbourne shifted into the halves, which it is his preferred position, but he'd been filling in and killing it as a fullback at Melbourne. So there were question marks. Only a few, but it was like, can he do the same in the number seven jersey? The Sharks, they went in for him as the guy. He was going to be the guy under Craig Fitzgibbon. And in year one of this Craig Fitzgibbon era, Nico Hines, you'd have to say, he looks like he's the favorite to take out the Delium medal. So it's been an incredible signing. Cronulla, I'm buzzing for their fans and for their club in general. This isn't just a season where it's like, oh, well, they've done really well. It's like they are in premiership contention this year and looking as to what's to come for them, it looks like they're only going to get better and better. So whilst I think the same about Penrith and the Panthers are the powerhouse of the competition, and it looks like for the next few years even, it could be the same where they are absolutely top of the crop, but the Sharks are showing signs to say like, this isn't a one-horse race. Like There are more than one team that are coming up and really making statements. So this is huge for Cronulla. And it felt this way ever since Craig Fitzgibbon arrived. But the way they fast-tracked it, like I, I was really positive about the Sharks. But for context, in my preseason prediction, I had them finishing ninth. And I was umming and ahhing. I had them at, in the top four at stages. And I was like, I feel like they're going to become a really big force. But I just thought it was going to take time. And it hasn't. Like the way they've just come out in year one under Craig Fitzgibbon, guys like Nico Hines, Dale Finucane, Cameron McInnes, what they have added to the club, and all the guys that were already there. And the way that... I can't name a player in this Sharks outfit that hasn't gone to the next level under Craig Fitzgibbon. All the young players are coming along nicely. Fitzy's made decisions like playing Talakai as a centre where maybe he could have been on the bench, maybe try play him in the second row. Fitzgibbon has found him a place in the centres and the way that has worked is just incredible. So as you can tell, I am really high on the Sharks' prospects. I think they can go all the way. They have premiership ambitions and after putting them in ninth and being like, uh and seeing what they've done, I'm a believer. So very excited for Sharks fans. For the Dogs, well, hey, the New South Wales Cup fans will be excited. Big marquee player joining the reserve grade ranks. Tevita Pangai Jr. dropped. So that is interesting. I don't know if he's going to come back into the side. Uh, because I saw Luke Thompson. He's been ruled out after being named. But Pangar Jr. dropped to New South Wales Cup. Apparently not any clubs that are looking at him. 
at least for the price tag. So, look, I'm sure if dogs are trying to offload him, he'll land somewhere, maybe the Dolphins. But, yeah, that that's quite concerning, given, given his pay packet. And I'm not one to criticise how much anyone gets paid. Like, I think it's awesome that he's managed to secure that deal. But you don't want a player who's on big coin in reserve grade. That, it's just not, it's not what you want. We all know that. It's not what you want. Now, looking at the teams for the Sharks, Sifa Talakai is back in the centres. Career best form, as I mentioned, under Craig Fitzgibbon. Teague Wilton joins the bench. And for the Bulldogs, Luke Thompson was named at lock, but he has been since taken out. I think he has COVID. And to be honest, I didn't check the updated team list. Sue me. My curiosity levels in the greatest respect, weren't super high. Like, oh shit, who are the Bulldogs going to replace him with? Uh, I'm, I'm happy to wait and see. And if you're super keen to know, you can find it on nrl.com really easily. Sorry. Now, Josh Jackson, he shifted to the second row. Maybe he's moved. Tavita Pango Jr. dropped. And Patolo, Chris Patolo on the bench. Now, I've spoken about Craig Fitzgibbon, how well he's doing. Mick Potter has done an unbelievable job at the Bulldogs. And they're getting Cameron Seraldo next year. And Seraldo and Fitzgibbon were two... They were the two main ones, in my opinion, in terms of those coaches who everyone was after. And there's kind of that feeling, given their track record, like what they've produced in the lower levels for Seraldo's case, or as an assistant and a player... For Fitzgibbon, like Seraldo, a handy player, but Fitzgibbon was a next level player. He's been involved in the Roosters setup for such a long time, as well as the New South Wales Blues setup. Whereas Seraldo, he was a good enough player to be playing NRL, got plenty of games under his belt at a few different clubs. I remember he was a Knight, and I think he played for the Panthers as well. But it was more Seraldo's work as an actual bloke which I find really interesting. A lot of the things I'd heard over the last few years, even dating back quite a few years and listening to some things Phil Gould said, Cameron Seraldo was like the ultimate clubman. So he wasn't this guy where it was like, all right, we're building around this player specifically, or like this guy is the first guy in the team. He's going to break the game wide open. But he was just such a fantastic clubman. And he was this guy where he was highly regarded. It was like, it's really good to have this guy around your club. He adds a lot and everyone is better for having this guy around. And the way he transitioned it into becoming a coach, starting as the Panthers under 20s coach, he nursed many of the great Panthers players we see today. And some of the ones from a while back, like Yadelin Wateni Zalesniaks and the like. Seraldo took these young kids to premiership glory at under-20s level. He schooled them on the way the Panthers play and the way that they were expected to play once they reached first grade. And look how that has turned out. He also won a premiership at New South Wales Cup level as a coach. And again, it was that next step for him. Of Now, some of these younger guys that he had in the 20s, they had either moved to other clubs they were playing first grade, and then he had some, 
it was like a really interesting mix because he would have some players from the 20s days that weren't quite ready to make that leap into first grade or had someone in front of them. Seraldo had them. He had some established first graders or experienced heads who were now finding themselves playing a bit of reserve grade. And then he had another crop of young guys who were getting called into the side that he hadn't coached and that he was developing. He won a New South Wales Cup premiership with that side. And then he's been the assistant coach. And look what he's done in his time as the assistant coach. And even at a point, being the great clubman that he is, stepping in as the interim head coach when Anthony Griffin departed under very controversial circumstances. Pretty long-winded way to say it, but Cameron Seraldo for the Bulldogs, I think he's going to be what Craig Fitzgibbon has been for the Sharks. And 2024 is kind of what's in my head for the Bulldogs. I think next year will be a great year to grow under Seraldo. But I said those things with Fitzgibbon as well. I had them in ninth and I was like, I think they're going to build on this. And this year is for them to find their feet. And next year they're going to explode. They've exploded this year. So Bulldogs fans, get excited. You have definitely got the right man for the job. So have the Sharks. An interesting game with, look, a lot between them this season. But I am very interested long term in the prospects of both of these sides. But enough about my ranting on coaches. Key battle. We've got to get to the key battle. I've gone the halves, Matt Burton and Kyle Flanagan who i got to respect Mick Potter. He picked and he stuck with these guys. He's given Kyle Flanagan a proper go. And Flanagan, like many young halfbacks, so much unfair criticism on him as he tries to ply his trade and learn his craft in first grade. He's been given that go and he's got an absolute superstar next to him in Matt Burton and they are taking on Nico Hines, who, as I talked about, could be the player of the year. And the way he is playing, he is living up to that marquee signing expectation at the Sharks. And Matt Moylan, who's had a career revival. And I've got to say, I did have some doubts. That was part of the reason why I had the Sharks in ninth. And when I did my preseason preview, my X-Factor player, which I had for every team, The Sharks were the only side where I had two X-Factor players, Nico Hines and Matt Moylan. I said if Moylan can stay on the park, which I just didn't think he could do at this point, then they could really be something. But part of the hesitancy for leaving them out of my predicted eight was, yeah, not knowing whether Matt Moylan could actually string a season together. And he has, and Nico Hines is killing it. And to see them do it, it's amazing. It's really good to actually see Matt Moylan on the park. And this is going to be a fantastic battle. Moylan and Hines up against Burton and Flanagan. My point of difference, Lockie Miller. Man, sign this guy up. Warriors, give this guy a contract if he can't get a go at the Sharks. I am a huge fan of Lockie Miller. Love the way he plays. He's got that Rugby Sevens experience as well. And he can play fullback, he can play in the halves, on the wing, can play in the centre. He could literally play anywhere. 
That's what makes him a point of difference. He has a real good knack for breaking tackles. And I think fullback is his best position. So point of difference, Lockie Miller. I think he's going to cause the dogs all sorts of issues. And this weekend, Saturday evening, all eyes are going to be on Andrew Fafita as he makes his last appearance as a shark at Shark Park. They are in hot form. Now feels like a good time to do it. And there were times where it looked like maybe Fafita wouldn't get to this point. No time more so than when he was placed in a five-day induced coma after suffering an injury. He's seriously been to deep waters, and the fact that he's even here to play this game is massive. So all eyes this weekend are going to be on Andrew Fafita. It is his moment, and I hope the Sharks fans, and I know the Sharks fans, are going to get around him. After that premiership year, and everything he's contributed, but the premiership especially, Andrew Fafita scoring that try and just, I mean, the performance. It goes down in folklore. Sharks fans and NRL fans will never forget it. So he's left a pretty hefty legacy at the Sharks. All eyes on Andrew Fafita. All eyes on the Cronulla Sharks. I'm going Sharks in this one. I gave it a pretty long preview for a game that seems pretty straightforward. And I think it will be. I think Sharks get up in this one. And in terms of the Not Just a Sports Report parlay, I've thrown in my man, Matt Ikevalu, anytime try scorer. He's been playing really well, and dogs, I think they will let in a few tries. So hopefully somewhere in there, we see Matt Ikevalu cross the line, and not with any sledging or behavior, hopefully, Mr. Ikevalu. I don't want him to cross any lines a la Dane Zorko, if anyone's been following the AFL. Um, but... Yeah, Ikevalu, anytime try scorer. Get amongst it. I will go through the parlay at the end of the podcast. And of course, this weekend, after the games, the NRL Power Podcast. Much like today, where I've previewed, asked a lot of questions. Well, the Power Podcast, it's a look back with hindsight. And many questions posed today on the NRL Power Podcast. It's all about having our answers to those questions because plenty of questions will be answered this weekend. So do not forget this weekend, NRL Power Hour podcast, round 24. Best way to see when that drops is to follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. And you can also follow us on Instagram. We'll be posting as soon as the Power Pod drops, as well as a few other things. Got a lot of different NRL content, as well as other content. And really now looking at how to maximize the social media without shit posting or clogging people's feed but bringing things of value so watch this space exciting times at not just the sports report but now let's get amongst our saturday night game we have a big old game on our hands in sydney saturday night the seventh-placed Rabbitohs trying to confirm their place in the final series, hosting the second-placed Cowboys. A great time for them to be travelling to Sydney, given that their aim is to play their last game of the season in Sydney, that being the grand final. They're hoping to hold on to that second spot 
so that they can have the Townsville home final potentially all the way to the grand final. So this biggest game of Cowboys season, biggest game of the Rabbitohs season, who for the last month or so, they've been talked about as one of the hottest prospects, one of the most likely sides to dethrone the Panthers. Unfortunately for the Rabbitohs, last time out, things didn't go to plan against the Panthers. That doesn't make me any less sold that the Rabbitohs can go all the way. But as I mentioned earlier in the Raiders game, if Rabbitohs drop these next two against the Roosters, Cowboys, well, they could fall out of the eight. So this is a major, major game for a tide, fuck my life, uh, for a side that are in premiership contention. After the Rabbitohs fell agonizingly short last weekend, a lot of talk about abuse to players and Jackson Paulo receiving death threats. All I can really say to that is there are a lot of morons in this world. There are a lot of morons on social media. It's like just this platform for people to, yeah, like nobodies. And I'm not saying I'm a somebody, like I'm nobody. Uh, bigger picture, again, I'm like of no significance in the grand scheme. And plenty of people who are literally nobodies who've done nothing in their lives. And then they want to tear down someone like Jackson Polo, a young kid who's actually doing things played in the grand final and look he's doing his best he's not trying to make these mistakes yeah he had a poor game but yeah they're just some morons like to send death threats you just got to be just like such a low low standard of person and i would imagine there are people who are betting if for any reason there are south fans doing that you guys are the ultimate morons like that is just the dumbest shit ever. You're not a supporter. Like, you're just a moron who wears the jersey and supports, claims to support the club. But for the people who are punting and abusing him, I'll tell you right now, I had money on the Rabbitohs. I was like, ah, oh, fuck, when they lost the way they did. And the way Jackson Paulo performed definitely didn't help. But after the game, I was like, okay, we move on. That was my decision. It's to Jackson Paulo. Like, they're playing the Panthers, for fuck's sake. Like, you got to expect the Panthers to win. And for people to send death threats, like, just a really low class of person. And look, like, I don't have heaps of listeners, so I would assume nobody, like, the statistical chance is that nobody listening to this does any of that kind of behavior. So... We can digress, but yeah, just a lot of morons, especially on social media. I've actually had to stop reading comment sections and things, not just on sport, like on everything, because you end up giving time and energy and attention to shit. Then it's like, you know, every now and then I'll click on the profile of the comment I read. It's like, who the fuck is this person? Why do I care? Like, why, why does this matter? It doesn't. It doesn't matter, but on social media, it does. If it has a lot of laugh reacts or likes or whatever, all of a sudden it matters. So a lot of morons on social media, none more so than the ones who abuse players and things. It's just, yeah, it's their insecurities. 
playing out and it's just fucking lame. So look, that's all I have to say in terms of the Rabbitohs, the abuse. I lost my page. Let me get my page to fired up. Uh, where are we? Goodness gracious. Here we are. Contenders or pretenders, the Rabbitohs? I say they're contenders. Now, I know that they lost and Panthers didn't have some of their big guns. I've watched enough footy and enough sport to know you can't write a team off on that performance. Last year, the Rabbitohs, they beat the Panthers in week one of the finals. And in the grand final, they took them all the way. And I know different coach, no Adam Reynolds, but there was no, no Latrell Mitchell either last year. So I think it balances itself out. Definitely contenders. But in saying that, they are still not safe in terms of their spot in the eight. So a very intriguing matchup this Saturday night. There has been talk of Latrell and Cody to the Dolphins. Again, it's like bigger picture. If it happens, it happens. I feel like this could be a lot of energy spent for the end result to be Latrell staying with Rabbitohs, Cody Walker staying with the Rabbitohs. So we'll see. We don't know. Adam Reynolds ended up leaving. But yeah, I don't need to talk about that too much. Like there's speculation, but this one feels like it's far away from really needing to be discussed. So Latrell and Cody in the sights of the Dolphins, I would say Rabbitohs will manage to hold them down. Now for South, they've had a new look in 2022, a young halfback, a new coach, Latrell in the best form of his career, New Look Souths with the same goal, to get to the grand final, and this time, to go one better. Then you have the Cowboys, who are on equal points with the Sharks, competing for second place, and they too are in with the same goal. They want to capture that premiership. This is a fantastic matchup in a peak time slot. Cannot wait to see it go down. Now, Jeremiah Nana. Supposedly, Jeremiah, formerly Nanai, in my pronunciation. Uh, supposedly, he wants it pronounced Jeremiah Nana. So, I'll watch this space. I'll try to get that right. But he's only three tries away from equaling Steve Menzies' all-time try-scoring record for a forward in a season. This kid's special. What the Cowboys are doing, in general, is very special. And what Souths are starting to build... Well, it looks the goods as well, so this is going to be a fantastic contest. Checking out the team news for Souths, Tom Burgess is back on the bench. That sees Harme Selle move into the starting side. Jackson Paolo, he's admitted, and Isaac Thompson comes in, which I think that's a big in, quite literally. And I like the combination of Campbell Graham and Isaac Thompson. For the Cowboys... Tom Dearden suffering a ruptured testicle. I don't want to talk about that too much. Every time I hear the word ruptured testicle, it makes my testicles hurt and I don't even have an injury. It's just like grimace. Even thinking about it just makes me grimace. So, oh goodness, Tom Dearden. He'll be back. We've seen other players recover. Tyson Frizzell, Chanel Harris-Tavita. I tell you what, if I was an NRL player, and I was maybe like 32, 33. And I'm starting to see more and more ruptured testicles. That's when I'm probably saying, hey, maybe this is one of my last seasons. I want to get out before I have to experience that. 
So yeah, something I hope to never experience. Tom Dearden out. And Josh Josh Drinkwater. Fucking gee whiz. That's his brother. Uh, Scott Drinkwater. 5'8". He moves into the halves, which we've seen him there before, but definitely has found his home at fullback. He moves to 5'8 to accommodate, I guess, the best balance. Bringing Hamiso off the bench, Hammer moving into fullback, Drinkwater 5'8". I like it. I think once Dearden's back, you go back to what was working. But I really like this. Tabuai Fado, it just felt like, okay, we find a spot in the back line for him if someone goes down, otherwise he's on the bench. Well, someone has gone down with busted ball, fucking hell. And so Hamaso, he gets his chance to come in and Drinkwater moves into the front line. Key battle in this one, well, that is the 5.8s. Scott Drinkwater up against Cody Walker. Almost forgot, my bad. Two of the electric players, Cody with Luttrell out the back, Scott Drinkwater with Hamaso Tabuai Fado in support. The electricity is going to be provided in the six jerseys for both sides. Key battle, Cody Walker and Scott Drinkwater. My point of difference in this one, the Chad, Chad Townsend. My goodness. I must say, I, I wasn't huge on the signing, not super critical either, but I didn't think that it was going to go anywhere near what it's been. Signing of the year, the Chad, Chad Townsend, more than delivering for his pay packet, which is really decent, but he's exceeding the expectations of what the Cowboys had of him, the Chad. I think he's the point of difference here. Lachlan Ilias, great young player, getting a lot of experience under his belt, but when you have a halfback battle, he's going up against a premiership winner in Chad Townsend. So I think Townsend is a massive point of difference. And in this one, all eyes are going to be on Latrell Mitchell. Feels like it's been that way for weeks, but you just feel like if South are to win here, there's going to be some Mitchell magic. So all eyes on Latrell Mitchell. And my prediction in what should be a very close contest, I'm going to go with the Rabbitohs. I think they can get it done. I'm actually quite confident about this one, even after backing them last weekend. I think they're going to be up for this one, as are the Cowboys. But I just think like someone like Damian Cook can break the game open. Someone like Cody Walker. But the one that's coming to mind is Luttrell. And I feel like Luttrell, he's going to do something here. Huge call from me. Bold prediction of the week. Luttrell Mitchell is going to do something epic. Huge call going out on a limb big time. Wow, that was a Fucking very bold call. Latrell Mitchell going to do some dope shit. I'm taking the Rabbitohs. And in the NJSR parlay, as I said, I'm confident in Souths. So I'm going to throw Rabbitohs in head to head. We'll check back in a couple of games as to the odds and the payout of this $5 stake parlay. But taking the Rabbitohs in this one, let's now get amongst the Sunday fixtures. could be forgiven for saying, but Mick, do we need to launch into the Sunday action? No implications for finals? Well, I say yes, there are implications for the spoon, there are four sides, you may be supporting one of them, and you want to hear about the game. And they should be alright games. Not much is on the line, 
Uh, and look, I'm being a bit of a hater right now, aren't I? Let's just, let's get into it. Let's get amongst it. Let me get myself hyped for these games. We have our opener on Sunday with a lot to play for, plenty to play for. The 16th placed, dead last, West Tigers, coming off the belting of a lifetime, up against the 10th placed Dragons, with a salary cap that is a mess. And the way the salary cap looks says top four ambitions. And for the second straight year under Anthony Griffin, the 10th place Dragons are not going to feature in September finals footy. There are spoon implications for this one. Tigers and Titans battling it out for the... Definitely, you just don't want it. I'm trying to think about how to even phrase the spoon. You just don't want it. I'm, I'm not even going to go further because it probably sounds disrespectful. But yeah, it's for the shittest of the shit, the wooden spoon, unfortunately. Now, Tigers, I've spoken all year. I said, I think, I don't know, I think this is the year that the West Tigers are going to bottom out. So in saying that, at times I've been harsh. I've been very critical. And at times, very few times, I've been optimistic about them. But I felt like with guys like Isaiah Papali'i, Api Korosau, coming on board next year, and the way that they were entering this year, I, I predicted them to come last in the preseason prediction. But I just felt like this was the year that they bottom out and all the shitstorm of the last decade kind of just reaches that breaking point. And I think 70 to 2 or 72 to 6, I think they've bottomed out. And I mean that in a good way. Like, I think, I think that's as low as they go. I think now they're on the up, funnily enough. Hopefully. I know it's a funny time to say that, but it's been my feeling all year. Like, I was like, the Tigers. This is the year they bottom out. Hopefully they can keep Jackson Hastings. Like, the decision-making, some of the stuff still going on doesn't give me a great deal of hope. But I feel like now they're building. Like, I think if they can keep Jackson Hastings, and Adam Doohy, there's something there, especially with some of the guns that are signing on next year. Hopefully. And I genuinely think... This is the point they've bottomed out. They've hit rock bottom, 72 to 6. Now, probably not for the rest of this year, but now the Tigers, they're setting themselves to go up. And you can only go up from here. So that in itself is a reason to be positive. They can only go up from here. If Dragons put 80 on them, that'll be fucked. But they're not going to. So West Tigers... I'm, I'm not going to blast you guys for that last performance. I think that was it, the bottom out that I had been feeling for a while. So, yeah, West's only up from here. For the Dragons, well, they killed it last weekend. Beat the Titans, Tautau Moga getting three tries. Good on him. Now, talking points for this one. James Tamo having his suspension reduced. Again, bigger picture kind of vibe. Good on him, like... If it wasn't his last game, potentially, then yeah, two weeks. But let him play his last game. And there's like, oh, integrity to the ref, very important. And oh, you can't have like a good bloke rule. Today, I'm all about the bigger picture. And judiciary and all that kind of stuff. 
it's in the grand scheme, like honestly, doesn't really matter, does it? We we can move past this one. So I'm sure it matters. It matters to a lot of people. Not me, really, to be honest. So I'm happy to see James Tarmel play his last game. And maybe the fair thing to do would potentially be to have him sit down with the referee. That it, I can't remember which one it was that he called incompetent. This doesn't have to be a public thing. Maybe it could be to shine a light on how we do need to treat the referees better. But I'm on the vibe. It's his fucking last game. If it is, even if it isn't, I can move past it. I'm not going to lose any sleep on this. But maybe, yeah, just some kind of conversation between he and the ref saying, like, yeah, I was getting absolutely pumped. Like, 72 to 6, what I said was wrong. And, yeah, I don't don't think James Tamo really has any other previous indiscretions of real, real tirades toward the refs. He's been captain of the Panthers. He's captain of the Tigers. Spent a lot of time at the Cowboys. And I can't remember any times where James Tamo has had an incident like this. So I think, yeah, just sit down with the referee. I think there should be some kind of like, hey, I know I'm kind of being token this one because it's my last game. And just a way to say to the referees, like, yeah, we're sorry to do this because you don't want to do that realistically because it just shows on the surface, the optics are that you're not taking it as seriously as you should. But I think even with a conversation, I'm sure the referees could move past it. So I think we can move past it. Ben Hunt, Dragon salary cap in a mess. He's talked about a few things. Well, they've lowballed him, firstly. Wow, dragons, dragons, dragons. Someone, someone will pay him his worth, no doubt. Very interested to see if he stays with the dragons. One thing he talked about was trying to, if I add a couple of years to my deal, maybe we add a couple of years to Anthony Griffin's, some stability. He obviously likes working under Hook, and he's playing his best football for the Dragons under Anthony Griffin. So that that is definitely something to consider. But the Dragons, they're lowballing Ben Hunt, and they, they don't like the idea of this Hook business. They're like not even sure whether they want him as their long-term coach. So that is definitely interesting. Anthony Griffin under pressure. The whole coaching thing, again, is so... It's redonkulous. The, the fact that, like, just all the time, the amount of time and energy and brain space over the years that I've actually thought and used my own energy, and so have you, most likely, of thinking about these coaches getting fired all the time. My goodness, like, just constant pressure. And, yeah, you see things like Paul Green and... It's it's honestly no wonder because the pressure they are under is insane. And the amount of time coaches are given, their shelf life is slim to none most of the time. So, uh, like, and the Paul Green thing, I didn't want to mention that. But, like, because it could be different. I don't think his was, his was wider and I don't even need, we don't need to talk about that, what what it was, but... Like, Anthony Griffin, it's just... And these coaches all the time. Just constantly under pressure. And under way more pressure than I think is warranted. Just to kind of 
drive the narrative or sell stories. We can be better than that. We can still have reporting and journalism on the game. I, yeah, I just don't understand it. So Anthony Griffin, he is one of the many under that kind of microscope where his job, under much scrutiny. And then you have the Tigers, wooden spoon looming. Now, if they have bottomed out, maybe they can get up to 15th spot, but they are in that unenviable position. Although during the week, RP Coruscant, which he shouldn't even have to do, but in the current climate, you kind of have to, he comes out and says, I'm fully committed to the contract that I signed. So that there we go. That is awesome. That's great to know that an Origin player, a Premiership winner, times two, he's keen to come on board. He's not having any second thoughts. He is committed to the Tigers from next year. He's got a job to do with the Panthers. But that in itself, I think if I was a Tigers fan, would fill me with great hope to see this marquee signing say, yeah, I'm fully committed. Now, my attention's on Penrith right now, but it seems like Arpi is really keen to be a Tiger from next year onwards. So that is really good for the Wests. They have bottomed out. I'm feeling optimistic. On to the team news now. A lot of outs for Wests. Luke Garner, Ken Malmalo, James Tamo, and Alex Seyfarth. None of them dropped, but injury and suspension. They are all out. A few changes for the Tigers, which I think is needed after having 72 points put on you. Junior Paunga, he's out on the wing. I'm a fan. He's a Warriors junior, so I actually watched him play in the juniors. Hashtag this kid could be anything. And then, yeah, he ended up spending some time at like Wynnum Manly and things like that. But yeah, he's played a few first grade games for the Tigers and I liked him in the juniors. So I'm always happy to see these kind of operators get a go. Junior Ponga in on the wing. Tom Freeban in as well, who's definitely paid his dues in the reserve grade comps. He comes into the second row. Joe Offengawi into front row. And New Brown moves to lock. So they've gone again, kind of like what they were doing with Jackson Hastings, looking more toward a ball playing lock, which I think the Tigers have looked much better. And I was critical of the Jackson Hastings move. I still honestly don't really like it. But I do like the idea of having a ball player in the middle of the park. And New Brown fits the bill. So I'm really interested to see how that works out. That sees Jake Simpkin move into the hooking position. And Kitione Kautoga, he's making his debut. Don't know much about him. He's a second rower, Fijian. But Tigers fans are really hyped about this guy. They like him. And yeah, see how he goes. There's some nice young talents at the Tigers that they've just brought through at this back end of the year, which can only be good for them. Like 72 points wouldn't be great for confidence, but I like just giving them a taste of NRL, not a heap of pressure on you yet. And then next year, you're not going to have to throw them into the deep end. They're going to have a much better idea of what to expect. For the Dragons, Moses Embai has been suspended. Jack Bird moves into the centres after... Absolutely shining at Lock Ford last weekend. One of the best performances across the entire round. Bird into the centres. Jack DeBellin moves to Lock. Aaron Woods will start in the front row. And McCulloch is out. So Jaden Sullivan, 
He starts at dummy half. I don't like it. I like Jaden Sullivan a lot. I just think he should play in the halves. And look, I like Teletel Moon and Ben Hunt a lot as well. So yeah, it is a bit of a headache, but I would way rather see Jaden Sullivan. Like if he signs with the Bulldogs and they actually give him a halves jersey alongside Matt Burton, I'm there for it. I Like nine, it's cool. It's like whatever. They don't really have anyone else as well. But uh, it's just, I don't like it, I'll be honest. Jaden Sullivan is a player I've had my eye on for a while now. And its I don't think it's him. I think it's the Dragons. And we see this with like a Tyrell Sloan and a few other talents as well. Although Teletau Moan really starting to kill it at first grade level. But Jaden Sullivan, it's, uh, I don't know. Where do you fit him in? If they keep Ben Hunt and Teletau Moan, Jaden Sullivan is too good to be playing out of position, in my opinion, and he's too good to not be getting a look in uh, anywhere else. If someone else will take him and he has a better shot at consistently playing in the halves, I would like that much more. So Jaden Sullivan, he'll be stoked to be getting some time in first grade, but playing in dummy half. Point of difference for this contest, I think desire. How badly do the Tigers want to respond? And what do the Dragons have to play for? Plenty. I mean, their coach's job is under scrutiny, and it seems like these boys really like him. Their star player, their captain, Ben Hunt, going into bat for the coach. So I think Dragons are going to be fired up, and it's up to the desire. How badly do the Tigers want to avoid the spoon? And what confidence do they have left in themselves after last week's demolition? All eyes are going to be on the Tigers, after aforementioned demolition. Let's see how they go. Key battle, Adam Duahy and Talatau Amon. This is an interesting one as well. Duahy not having a great day defensively last weekend, but he's a gun. I think Tigers need to look to build around him. And Talatau Amon, he's the same. He's an absolute gun. And I think if the Dragons are serious, they need to look at keeping him as long-term as possible, because I know the Dolphins were after him, and there would be a ton of clubs that would pay a ton of money to have someone like Talatau Amon in their side. Key battle, 5 eighths. Prediction, I'm going to go the Tigers. And no real confidence in this. Like, who would have confidence tipping aside after having over 70 points put on them? Dragons, it seems like, are going to win. If I'm being just serious... If I had a gun to my head, I would say the Dragons are going to win. But I don't have a gun to my head. I'm going to go the Tigers. This one, yeah, don't put any money on it. Or at least I'm not going to. But this is a, more of a fun tip. I'm going to say Tigers have bottomed out. Let's see them get a win. I think they can't go any lower than they went last weekend. I don't think. It's only up from here. I don't think that's enough reason to back them in, but upward trajectory. Tigers for 2023 Premiership. I'm taking the West Tigers over the Dragons. And for the not just a sports report parlay, as I said, I'm not betting on this. I'm not including Tigers to do anything good here. Like, I'm not placing that much trust in them. But I'm putting my tip behind them. I'm, I'm hoping they can get the win but I'm not putting my money behind it. So with that being said, 
I am going to add something else to the parlay, that being the three NRLW games this weekend. So I'm going to jump in to a quick little bit of NRLW coverage because I loved watching round one and I've been enjoying the competition over the last couple of years. Now for the parlay, I've thrown in the Sydney Roosters to beat the Broncos, $1.36, St. George to beat Parramatta, who are $1.25, and Newcastle Knights on the back of their first ever NRLW win. They have Millie Boyle, Tamika Upton now, as well as some other really quality stars, including that 17-year-old halfback, Jessie Southwell. I'll get to her in a moment. Uh, one of them tore their ACL, I believe. I think it was her sister. I was actually catching up with family. We were uh, getting a feed kind of vibe. Uh, and it was on the television, but I I can't remember. Sorry. But I, I think it was uh, Hannah Southwell who ended up getting injured. But those are the inclusions. So all the favorites, Roosters, Dragons, and Knights. That's thrown into the parlay. We've got another game in the NRL to go, and then I'll reveal the full parlay. But jumping into the NRLW, those are the three games. You've got my three tips right there as well. I'm not just going the favourites. Those are genuinely my tips, and I feel confident in them. I can see the Titans upsetting the Knights, most definitely, and the Broncos are really good value up against the Roosters. That is one don't want to get too confident on, but I am going for all three of the favourites. And last weekend, for the weekend wrap, I'll quickly jump through that. Uh, weekend wrap, round one, we saw the Roosters win 38-16 to over the Eels, and that, that was a really big win for the Roosters. Traditionally, actually quite slow starters. Don't often win round one in the NRLW, but they got the job done there. And they've got some great players in the side. I mean, those centers, Sergis and Isabella Kelly, or Isabel Kelly, that is fucking unreal. They are two of my favorite players to watch in the comp. Then the Dragons, I didn't actually watch this game fully. 26 to 12 over the Titans. And the Knights, 32 to 14 over the Broncos. Big win, featuring a couple of former big Bronco names as well. My player of the round, I went with Sam Bremner from the Sydney Roosters. She had 171 run meters, three try assists, two line breaks, as well as 11 tackle breaks. And I wrote, I'm going to be doing this every week as well, so if you're interested, best place to keep up with this is on our Instagram, at not just a sports report. But I'm also going to be doing little bits of like written pieces to go along with uh, the NRLW Weekly Wrap. So I wrote a little bit about Sam Bremner, the player of the round, and I did the same for the team of the round, who were the Newcastle Knights. First NRLW win over the Broncos as well, and the way they got it done was very impressive. My rising star of the round, which if you've listened to the NRL Power podcast, I've been doing this for the men's competition as well, nominating a rising star each round and at the end of the season, you'll be able to vote on the top four for who is the Not Just a Sports Report rising star. Did I nab that from the AFL? Yes, I did, but right now I'm not big enough to be on the AFL's radar. So I, I like, like the idea, rising star. And they don't have the fucking exclusive rights. Legally, I'm sure they do, but 
you, they, you don't have the rights to the term rising star. That has always been a thing. So I'm using it here. NRLW rising star of round one, Jessie Southwell. An incredible game for her. She scored a try, 144 run meters, two line breaks, five tackle breaks, and 16 tackles in the 17-year-old's first game. So, gee whiz, we have a star on our hands. Tough stuff. There was the player, uh, Samima Taufa from the Eels. She didn't end up getting it, uh, but she was very close. I honestly, in reflection, she was very unlucky to miss out on that. But I ended up going for the winning side. Tough stuff award going to the Roosters, Sarah Togatuki, who ran for 132 run meters and made 19 tackles with zero misses. So that was what ended up setting her apart. She made significantly less tackles than Taufa, but she didn't miss any. And Taufa missed a few, but I mean, Taufa was the heart and soul of that performance. There, there was no criticism there on her part. She made like a competition high amount of tackles and she equaled her own record. So in reflection, she probably should have got tough stuff, but I don't think she gives a shit. So yeah, it doesn't, she won't really give a shit. So I don't think we need to. So that was round one. That sees the Roosters, Knights and Dragons. They are in the top three, all with a win. And the Titans, Broncos and Eels, well, they are still searching for their first this season. Plenty of other NRLW content to be going on on our Instagram. And as time goes on, I'm going to work out the best way to incorporate it more and more. Because I'm a huge fan of the women's games, both AFL and NRL. So I'll be covering them both as much as possible. But now let's get on to the last game of round 24. We have the 15th place Titans. We have the 14th place Knights. What a way to end the weekend, hey? Uh, maybe if I'm seeing all the games, I may not even watch this. Respectfully, this is me just telling my honest truth, and I'm sorry. But yeah, this one doesn't excite me. Titans, they're playing to avoid the wooden spoon. Knights, well, there has been so much criticism of them recently. And most of it, to be fair, seems warranted. Now, the talk all week, do you move Kalen Pongat to 5'8 next year? They're talking about chasing Ruben Garrick, bring him over to the Knights, which I actually, that would be pretty awesome, and he is a very handy goal kicker. But, yeah, I don't know. I look at what Cameron Munster's doing right now, since shifting back to fullback, and I feel like that's where how Ponga would be best utilised, rather than being set on one side of the field, in the front line. I don't know. This is another one where it was a major talking point, and there is a lot of discussion around it, but I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Fuck it, like, do what you want, Newcastle. I think bringing Ruben Garrick over as a fullback, it's, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like the move to make. And instead of building around Kalen Ponga, it's like you're shifting things around and just, I don't know. It's a bit of a mess, so. If Knights, do they move him? Do they not move him? Let's wait and find out. And I think they actually, I think they might. Because Ruben Garrick is very gettable, in my opinion. He won't be getting that much money at the Sea Eagles. He could definitely get a lot more as a fullback at the Knights. And Ponga, it could end up being a masterstroke. But the Knights as a whole right now, 
They're sitting 14th. It's not 2023 yet. He's not playing 5-8. They haven't even got Ruben Garrick. There's still a lot to play out and a lot of moves to be made before we know what the Knights are going to look like next year. Let's focus on what they look like this year. Shit. Same as the Titans, respectfully. I've called my own team the Warriors. I said, we play like shit. Love all the players. Nothing but respect for the players. But like, I, I call my own side shit. And I'm just going to say it. Titans have been shit as this year. Knights have been shit. Both were in the top eight last year. So huge decline. Huge decline for sides that had struggled for so long. Made the top eight the last two years. Both of them, I believe. Really bright coaches as well. And every reason to be optimistic. And then you look at where they are now. And like I said, they've been shit. Titans got tailed up by St. George last round. It's a common theme, like Titans. I can't say it any better. I'm sorry. Like, I'm trying to be respectful. But in the playing sense and performance sense, shit. Same as the Knights. Although they were really good against the Raiders for the first half last weekend. And I tell you when they were really good as well. And funnily enough, when the Titans were really shit. When Edric Lee scored five tries on them last time out. And the Knights just absolutely destroyed the Titans. Like, what was that? What was that? So, good for the Knights. That, that was a good point. Edric Lee, five tries. What a great moment. That was a highlight of the Knights' season. Titans, that was the point when I was like, holy crap, how bad is this? That was definitely getting to the point. When Knights are doing stuff like that. I, you heard what I was just saying about the Knights. And you let one player score five tries? Did Dominic Hattrick score like two? Or Dominic Hattrick? That is not his name. Could it be though? Uh, Dominic Young scored a hat-trick, I think, as well, or a double in that game. Just mind-boggling. Who, who knows what's going to happen in this game? What I do know is that my key battle features two very exciting players. AJ Brimson, Anthony Milford. I, I think both defences have massive deficiencies, so there are going to be openings. And when I think of the guys who can provide that real exciting stuff, and in a game that I don't even know if I want to tune in for, if I'm looking for a reason, other than that I have a rugby league podcast, so even these ones, it's good to watch. But if I was looking for a reason, like, why should I watch this? Well, AJ Brimson, Anthony Milford, there are two reasons right there. It's okay. One of them could do something very epic. So Brimson, Milford is my key battle. My point of difference is Jaden Braley. Titans have gone with Sam McIntyre, who is a back rower as their dummy half. I really don't know about that. His service, service, that's a new one, service is actually really good. But he's not number nine. And Jaden Braley is actually a fantastic dummy half. I think him missing for most of this season played a big role in why the Knights sit where they do on the ladder. I think if he's in that side... They would have gone a little bit better. I don't know if they would have made the eight. But Jaden Braley is a huge point of difference here in a game where the Titans don't even have a specialist number nine. All eyes are going to be on the coaches. Justin Holbrook is under pressure. And yeah, I don't want to see him get fired. I'm a huge fan. 
won a premiership with St. Helens in the Super League, and what he did over there was dope. Last two years, he took the Titans to finals. Now he finds himself, after one down season, under a lot of pressure. Same as Adam O'Brien, who at points was seen in that kind of ilk as a Craig Fitzgibbon or a Cameron Seraldo. This coach that everyone had to have, a coach that if you could get him, you could start to set the foundations. You were going to have this coach for a long time, and he was like the one. When Newcastle got him, it was like, how good? This guy has been involved in the success of the Storm as an assistant. He spent time at the Roosters. Now he's ready. Now his time. Now look at it. He's under pressure to even keep his job. It just shows you how difficult head coaching is. But I would like to see both of these guys do well. I hope both of them do well long term. But a loss here for either of them does not help at all. All that is going to do is add extra pressure with only one game left in the season after this to try and just save face. That's where it's at. Very grim for two coaches with a lot of potential and a lot of promise, neither of which I have given up on yet, but I'm not the Knights. I'm not their fans either, and same for the Titans. Prediction, I'm going the Gold Coast Titans. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I know this is a rugby league podcast, so I'm trying to be as like professional, quote unquote, as possible. But I don't know. This one, like, how do you get a read on sides like this? I didn't know last time that Edric Lee was going to score five tries. I'll tell you that much for free. So as for what plays out here, fucking anything, anything could happen. It's, your guess is as good as mine. Edric Lee could score seven tries this time. But I'm going to go with the Gold Coast Titans. As you can tell, like Sunday on the punt, I am staying away. I thought, like, do I dabble? And I'm... Just no. No. I'm going Titans. I like their team and just going off vibe. I like them more going into this one. But I do think for the Knights that Jaden Braley is genuinely a big point difference. Titans don't even have a specialist nine. But just going to throw some shit at the wall, basically, and see what sticks. And Titans. I'm going Titans. Hopefully, this is as dark as it gets for both clubs. Let's hope for both of them they can be back on the up next year and that this was just a learning curve, a really bad, dark learning curve. But yeah, 15th versus 14th, Gold Coast Titans. That's it for the round. So I'm going to jump into the Not Just a Sports Report parlay. We'll get the odds. And for this one, I tipped the Titans in the last game. Look, Edric Lee scored five tries last time out. So based on that, I put Edric Lee anytime try scorer. That seems pretty simple enough, right? So Edric Lee, the Knights don't even have to win. He scored five tries last time. So I've gone Edric Lee anytime try scorer. So let's finish off by having a look at the Not Just a Sports Report parlay. Round 24, $5 stake. $455 return, or $450 profit. Not bad, not bad. Let's see how this goes. So $5 stake, we have Corey Oates in the Thursday night game, anytime try scorer. 
Panthers 13 plus over the Warriors. Melbourne Storm 1 to 12 over the Roosters. Then in the NRLW, taking the Roosters, taking the Dragons and the Knights. Raiders up against Seagulls. Sebastian Chris to score anytime. Matt Ikevalu anytime try scorer for the Sharks. Rabbitohs over the Cowboys head to head. Edric Lee anytime try scorer to round us off. So we'll have the Knights would be the last two legs of that. Knights woman and Edric Lee to score against the Titans. $455 it would pay. This one's pretty unlikely, very unlikely to cash out. So yeah, you don't need to ride this one, but that's the parlay. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. So if you do want to get amongst it, only a $5 stake. You could even put $1 on it and $91 odds. Not a bad value play, right? So we'll see how that goes and we'll see how the entire round goes. I'll be back on the weekend, of course, to wrap up everything round 24 for the NRL Power Hour podcast. But until then, that has been the weekly preview. Enjoy the footy this weekend. And until next time, take care.